0: Welcome back to Dogman Radio. I'm Scott Eklund with Chris Fetters. And um, we are currently going through all of the the numbers that you know that team that players have worn over the years and uh, we've been going through by tens and Chris Fetters has done all of the odd tens and I've done all of the even tens plus the single digits and uh, we are currently working our way through we've already done the first 50 numbers now we're going to start in the 40s and kind of work our way down let's move on into the 40s there there weren't a ton of names to to really talk about in the 40s but you know 48 I mean Jason you just got to go with Jason Chorak I mean for a long time until we just talked about Hallie Kakaha and we'll talk about him with the number eight but you know, I mean, there there was until until Daniel Teo Nesheim and came along and and Howie uh, Kakaha, Jason Chorak was the was was the guy along with. I thought
1: he
0: was uh, forty six. God dang it! I ah, I am struggling, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Donald Jones, I had Jason Schwartz ah. as the first one. Donald Jones is who I, oh man.
1: I don't man. know if I've, have I ever said this publicly or at least in a dog man pocket. I'm not sure. Donald Jones, and I told this to Donald personally, Donald Jones is my favorite Husky of all time.
0: Wow, okay. No, I don't know if you've ever said that.
1: Yep, Donald Jones is my favorite Husky. Why, ever- is it
0: because <laughs> of his ability to get pressure or what was it?
1: I think it was his ability to kind of redefine a position. Mm-hmm. I think he just he turned that position into something that I had never seen before. I don't think anybody had ever seen before. I mean, he he came to Washington as like a fullback or a running back and Yank. yep. and just and just turned his entire fortunes around on the other side of the ball by just becoming literally like single-handedly just this this guy who could come off the edge and just couldn't be beat. And that
0: that's that that something he had I'd on never seen lip. before. That sack on Drew Bledsoe from the open side.
1: So well, it was... yeah, but it was just but it was just one of those things, Scott. Where I think yeah. I just had never seen defensively a guy be so single minded in what he was capable of doing, and just I mean, literally, I mean that that he was only asked to do one thing, and that was go crush the quarterback, and he was so good at it. And obviously, that was a you know, it's like chicks dig the long ball, right? Well, obviously, yeah. guys love sacks, and guys love big defensive plays, and And um, I had never seen a guy like Donald Jones ever do that in my entire life. And I'm I'm you know, I'm not sure I've seen very many that have been as good at it as he was. You know, like uh, like Haoli Kikaha is a a guy that I would put maybe in that discussion. Uh, Chorak, you know, speaking of of a guy that yeah,
0: number 46. Yes. Yeah. He's a
1: guy that, you know, we put obviously in that discussion as well. Obviously, until he got hurt, Zion was a guy that was starting to get into that conversation just by the the sheer number of sacks that he was getting in, in such a small mm-hmm. number of games. Um, Joe Tryon, if he, he would have been that guy, year, would yep. have been in that conversation for sure. But going all the way back to the, to the late 80s, early 90s, I, I thought that a, a guy like Donald Jones had redefined kind of what it meant to be a pass rusher. You know, because before it was always a bigger guy who was kind of told to set the edge. And then if you could get past your guy, if you could win your one-on-one battle, then you'd be able to do something. But he, I mean, he added a speed element that I don't think I'd ever seen before. And it it just the ferocity. And you mentioned the Bledsoe sack, but even some of the ones in the Rose Bowls and and some of the other things was just... It, it was revolutionary to me at the time. And it just kind of stuck with me.
0: Yeah. Uh, Cameron Van Winkle, I mean, far cry from, uh, Donald Jones, but Cameron Van Winkle, uh, came to Washington and with a huge leg. Um, but, uh, he had a bit of a, um, I don't know. I, I put, I wrote fragile ego, but more of a, it was just more of a, his psyche was a little bit more, Um, he he was a guy who got into his head a little bit and it took him a little bit of time. And he also fought through some injury issues, but, uh, he eventually went on to rank fourth all time with 52 career field goals, including 20 that he made in 2014. He's also tied for the 10th longest field goal all time in program history, hitting a 51 yarder against Illinois in 2014. Uh, he won three letters and, uh, never hooked on with a NFL team, but, He's now a successful uh, real estate agent uh, in the Puget Sound area. So uh, good for him. Tony Caldwell was another name for the for the 48s that was pretty impressive. Uh, racked up over 200 tackles and uh, 22 tackles for loss during his time with the Huskies. He went on to be drafted in the third round of the NFL draft by the Raiders and played for three seasons for them and then one season with the Seattle Seahawks. So um, lots of good players at 48, 46. This is the one I want to talk about, Jason Chorak. I don't know why I had him as 48, 46. Jason Chorak kind of leads the way. I mean, the guy come, didn't he come from Vashon High School?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not, uh, yep, yeah for sure. Can
0: you imagine playing him as a 1A school like
1: that? <laughs> no, not I mean, I mean, Especially not today. <laughs> maybe back then, but not today.
0: Yeah, I mean, just. Um, just a special special um, guy had to wear that darn purple helmet I wish he would have worn the purple or the gold helmet because I only remember him in the purple helmet from 94 to 97 uh, had a bro- program best 25 point and a half uh, career sacks uh, which was broken in 2009 by I think it was Daniel Teo Nesheim that broke it and then Howie uh, um, Kakaha ended up uh, breaking that record as well, and is now the sack leader for the University of Washington. But uh, um, another guy, Travis Coons, um, kind of came out of nowhere, out of Mount San Antonio College, Mount SAC, down there in Southern California, played two years there. And then uh, when he arrived at the University of Washington, he went on to um, average over 40 yards per punt, Um, With a long of 65, Um, some crazy stuff happened to him right before he enrolled at the University of Washington. I remember he and his dad and his brother, I believe, were in a car accident um, and his dad and brother were killed and uh, he was not. He was he ended up being okay, but was pretty bruised up, but uh, showed up at the University of Washington. Washington kind of wrapped their arms around him and and um, and really, really helped him. Uh, along, and then he ended up coming to the University of Washington and, and being a very good player for them for the couple years uh, um, that uh, he wound up uh, doing that. But, um, you know, let's move on to the 30s, Chris. Uh, you had the 30s. As we mentioned, we're counting down, or just talking about the countdown all the way to the season. Uh, Chris had the 30s. Uh, Chris, talk about a little bit about the um, any, any names from the 30s that that really stuck out to you, and any numbers that seem to have quite a few guys in it?
1: Well, 39 certainly was an interesting one, obviously because you have Chico Fraley that everyone remembers from the '91 yep. team, and Jimmy Rogers, who was you know from the the, the teams in the mid 80s. He was the you know one of the captains of the '84 team that beat Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. Um, so the, obviously that stood out. Uh, 38 actually stood out to me as an interesting number because you had, you know, I just mentioned David Rill, but then you also had Mark Stewart, who was another one that was a, a monster linebacker back in the day, um, you know, in terms of the, the early eighties, um, you know, but the guy that, that was, that was the most interesting story to me. And you, you know, you were kind of asking for interesting stories of guys that, that yeah. people may not be thinking too much about, you know, Charlie Browning was an interesting guy because he played in the early to mid sixties under Jim Owens and and he was a good player. I mean, he got drafted by the the New York Jets in the in the 65 NFL draft. I think it was the man, they had unbelievable number of rounds back then. I I want to say he got drafted in the 17th round. <laughs> but wow. um the he, other than Sunny Six Killer, who obviously had a song written about him, I think this is the only other player that I can recall that had a song written about him. That was a Washington Huskies player. Hmm. And there was, in 63, there was a, there was a group called the Young Men. They wrote a song about Charlie Browning called, um, I guess they used the, the song Charlie Brown from the coasters. They used that, that song as the basis for a song about Charlie Browning. And, um, it actually went number one on KJR in December. Oh, wow. Of oh, yeah, three. So. That was really interesting, I thought. I was like, I didn't know anything about that. Now, granted, it was five years before I was born, but um, I thought that was actually really, really interesting too. And then, um, you know, you go to like 36. 36, you would have expected to be a big linebacker number. And, of course, it was. Joe Kelly is the guy that immediately stands out for me. He's another guy growing up that I really, really fell in love with. I just loved his kind of lunch pail style and he always seemed to have his nose um, right on the football all the time. And he was another guy that was a big part of that that win against Oklahoma in the 85 uh, Orange Bowl. And um, Don Makita, which was also another guy that you have to learn a lot about. He was a guy in the late 50s, early 60s. He was a guy that was instrumental when um, the Jim Owens teams in, in, in 59 and 60 won uh, back-to-back Rose Bowls, beating um, Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yep. And um, he also ended up going into the Korean war. Um, So that, I mean, there was just some interesting stories there as well. He was a guy that was interesting. He got drafted by the New York giants, but he ended up taking a deal with the Saskatchewan rough riders of the, of the Canadian football league, because apparently the deal was better. The CFL deal was the bet was the better deal of the two. Um, But unfortunately he got a neck injury during his first season with Saskatchewan and ended up ended up having to retire. So, I thought there were some interesting stories there. Um
0: got to talk but, about 33.
1: Well, oh yeah, well for sure because it was it's, you know, it's you know, George Wilson, Wildcat Wilson is 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 the guy that had the 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 number retired, number 33 retired. No one's going to ever wear that again unless I guess they make a deal with the Wilson family, but you know, that's a guy that um you know, you, you want to talk about one of the real legends um, that really kind of kicked off Washington football as we know it, you know, that's, that's the yeah. guy, Yeah. Um, you know, just, just a, a quick story on Wilson was that, you know, when they played um, in the, I think they played the Rose bowl. I want to say the, tw- Wow. It was
0: 24 Rose bowl
1: 24 I think. 25. Yeah. I was trying to think it was either 24, 25, when they played uh, Alabama, and they oh, that was the 26.
0: It was the 26.
1: Rose so it was Boy. after the 25 year. season. Yeah, yeah. So they he basically he they were ahead, and then he got hurt, and then because he got hurt, Alabama came all the way back to win. I mean, he was that influential. He was playing both sides, and and it, it basically helped Washington to create. You know, they, they scored all 19 points when he was in the game. And mm-hmm. then when, Al- when he was out of the game, Alabama scored all their points when he was out. So that that told you all you needed to know about George Wilson, for sure. And, um, you, know, that, you know, he's introduced into, into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1951, um, which was kind of strange because he didn't make it into the Husky Hall of Fame until 1980. Now, I think that's part of the reason they didn't have Husky Hall of Fame. Until, yeah,
0: that's true. Around yeah.
1: that time. Um, he was inducted to the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame in 1991. Um, you know, so it's, but again, you know, and and again, there's so many, so many ties to what's going on nowadays too, because, um, you know, people talk about pay for play and NIL and all this stuff. Well, George, one of the things that was considered a stain on, on George Wilson's reputation was that, um, one of the Seattle newspapers said that he had been promised like $10,000 or $10,500 to play in that 20, uh, 1926 Rose Bowl game. Um, so, who knows? It was never backed up with any sort of, like, real information, and um, the 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 reputation of him, I guess, took a bit of a hit, because it, even though there was no real facts to back it up, there was still kind of this assertion, and people kind of thought that it might have been true, but they couldn't actually prove it. Um, but then he went on to, like, do... Some things with the early NFL uh, teams, where he actually played against Red Grange yeah. and did some things, and he actually outplayed Red Grange in a couple of games, which you know will tell you all you need to know about the reputation of George Wilson. He was obviously one of a kind.
0: Yeah, and um, I don't know if you mentioned this uh, before. During uh, Wilson's time at UW, the team they were twenty nine two and three during during his couple seasons at UW. And they outscored their opponents 1102 to 107.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, obviously he was he was a part of a of a of a program there. And then we obviously go, you know, we're not talking about numbers at this point, but you go all the way back to you know Gil Dobie, who never lost a game as a coach at yep. Washington. I think he was 58-0-3, if I remember mm-hmm. right. But then the only other player that I think comes close to having that kind of a record. Um, especially as a starter is, is um, Billy Joe Obert. I mean, that's, yeah. it. you know, yeah. I don't, if I remember correctly, I don't think Billy Joe lost a game as a starter, whether, yeah. whether if you include him as a punter, you know, for instance, I don't think he lost a game. So um, yeah, no, it, George Wilson's impact on the Washington program um, is profound. And and uh, it is amazing how there's a lot of things and a lot of parallels to you know, even what's happening today, like I said, with, the with the influence of money in college athletics and whatnot, that was happening in the twenties. And, and maybe that's just something that people don't understand, but it's, it it, it happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk real quick about the twenties, uh, you know, I went through and just kind of looked at it. I looked at three numbers that really kind of stood out to me. I'm there. I'm sure I I didn't get all of them, but um, well, hey, hold
1: on, Scott. Before yeah. before I do that, I I yeah. really would be remiss to not mention number 32.
0: OK, go for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> 30,
1: 32 yeah. is a fairly important number in Washington's history. Yes, it is. Not just with Buddha Baker, who obviously everyone's going to know about now. And, and obviously not what he, not just what he's done at Washington, but now what he's doing in Arizona is one of the, the top paid safeties in all of call it, in all of pro football. But, you know, you go back to Bo Cornell, you go back, you know, fifties, Hugh McElhenney, we talk about more pay for play with Torchy Torrance, yep. and some of those guys, you know, I mean, th- these are all, these are all, you know, parts of the threads that weave in and out of Washington football, but, um, you know, even real solid players back in the day, like Mo Shaw, um, mm-hmm you know, war 32, um, Richie Chambers, who obviously is well known for what he did in the, in the whammy in Miami. Um, so th- you know, there's just a lot of, of great, um, stories in that stuff. But like I said, I would have been remiss 32. When you look at Buda Baker and Hugh McElhenney and just how important they have been to, to Washington football, they have to be mentioned.
0: No, I, I completely, uh, glossed over that. So sorry about that, but no, 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 um, no I, you're good. Yeah, I just don't want this podcast, this podcast could be four hours long if we really wanted it to be, but yeah, no, um, uh, let's let's get to the 20s. Uh, I picked out three numbers that kind of stood out to me. The number 26 with Sidney Jones, uh, Russell Hairston, and Tim Peoples. You know, Sidney Jones, for people who don't know, for as good as he ended up being at the University of Washington, he was very lightly recruited coming out of high school. He had he had offers from, I think, Colorado, Utah and maybe one of the Arizona schools. And then um, Jimmy Lake comes in with Chris Peterson and their staff and Washington decides, hey, we like this kid. Let's go get let's go out and offer him and see if he's interested. He had built up a relationship with him at when he was at Boise State. Jimmy Lake, I mean, he had built up a relationship with Sidney Jones. And then when he came over, to the, but he wasn't going to be able to get him over Utah. But then when he went to Washington, he had the more high profile program to recruit to and, and Sydney Jones ended up flipping and became, and I remember you and I being on a podcast or not a podcast, a broadcast with Elise Woodward on, on uh, KJR when she was doing the night night show there. And we talked about some guys that, that from the class that we were excited to see. And you and I both said Sydney Jones was a guy that people need to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah. I'd, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't remember that, but I wouldn't be yeah. surprised.
0: Um, Russell Harrison didn't have a huge career at the University of Washington, but a lot of people remember him from the pick six that he had against in Miami in the whammy and Miami game. Um, that was the, I think it was either the first, might've been the second play after, uh, uh, um, I'm drawing a blank on the fullback's name who caught the pass um and, and went 70 yards. Um
1: oh, Richard Thomas?
0: Richard Thomas, yeah, number Richard thir- Thomas. Number
1: thirty by the way, which yeah. I you know, could have been yeah.
0: <laughs> so, but Richard Thomas catches that that pass. Napoleon Kaufman gets that late block for the for the touchdown. And then I think it was one or two plays later Russell Harrison picks off a pass um intended on the outside for Yateel Green. And he had fallen down and and uh Harrison took it back for a touchdown, and basically the route was on for the University of Washington. Uh, really good career at the University of Washington. And then Tim Peoples, one of the hardest hitting safeties that I can remember at the University of Washington, just always seemed to be laying people out. Um, finished his career at the University of Washington with over 200 tackles, over, um, I think I'm looking it up here real quick, uh, 263 tackles, nine pass breakups, two interceptions. Uh, Started the uh, 84, 85, 86 seasons um, and just um, was a special, special player. Was a first-team All-American for the AP um, as well as the uh, – I'm sorry, honorable mention uh, All-American for the AP and first-team by the Sporting News. Uh, Was drafted in the 87 NFL draft by the St. Louis Rams. Never really did anything in the NFL, but uh, always a player that I remember as a heavy hitter when he was at the University of Washington. Um another uh another number that I wrote down was 23 with Nesby Glasgow wa- uh Walter Bailey Vince Newsom and Don Coriel and we mentioned him in the last podcast that Don Coriel he only played one year at the University of Washington he was here for two but he he only played one season for the University of Washington and was very lightly used as a player but uh went on to have a very pro- prolific prolific uh coaching career Uh, Went on to be uh, one of the innovators of the modern uh, offenses that we see today that are that are spread, that are have three or four wide receivers in it, uh, was the head coach of the San Diego Chargers during their. Oh, I guess it would have been the first version of the greatest show on turf, Chris. It was never called that uh, because that was that was saved for the Rams when they when they had uh, Kurt Warner and all those guys, Torrey Holtz and. And uh, all those guys uh, playing there, Marshall Falk was also there. But um, at at um, uh, San Diego, Don Corial had Dan Fouts, he had Charlie Joyner, he had Sean Jefferson, he had um, uh, the tight end, uh, the Kellen Wins- Winslow. Mm-hmm. Kellen Winslow, he had Charlie Joyner, or oh, I'm sorry, who was the uh, running back, the one with the more glasses, played at Cal? Um, trying to oh, think Chuck of Chuck Muncy? Chuck Muncy, yep. Chuck Muncy was there as well. Those guys were some of the the greatest uh, offenses in, in NFL history, at least up until that point. And uh, he's widely regarded as one of those guys. Like John Madden, Bill Walsh, Joe Gibbs, all said that that uh, they um, he, they were disciples of his. And then uh, you also had Ernie Zampese and Al Saunders, more innovators in the modern offenses. And he uh, many consider him to be the the father of the modern passing game. Um, that we see now today, and he came out of a out of a Washington program that didn't throw the ball much when he was there.
1: Yeah, it, it's just kind of as odd as when you think of, um, you know, God, who was the coach at the time? I think it was like in the mid '50s. I think he had come from like Texas, and he was there for like it was
0: Daryl Daryl Royal. Daryl yeah,
1: Royal was like a coach at Washington for like a year. It's like he just came and went. It's like, well, what was that all about? I, I know. Like what what what? He was the, he he was a coach in 1956. His team went 5 and 5. It's like yeah. okay. Why the hell was Daryl Royal ever at Washington? I've never really looked it up to be honest. What I was his
0: connection? Been, I know. What that, was the that's
1: connection? That's the thing. Well, I mean that, you know, I don't know if, if it was something that Jim Owens was later a part of because obviously Jim Owens his big connection was um, he was tied with Oklahoma before coming to Washington. So I don't know if there was a connection with Royal earlier that that now all of a sudden they were pulling from the same kind of area in terms of getting Jim Owens. I don't know, but yeah, I never really understood. It seemed like such a one-off and yeah, Don Coryell seems like just another one-off that doesn't really have a connection with Washington yet. He is inextricably tied with Washington. Yep. Yep. Um,
0: um another, you know, we talked about uh great huskies. Nesby Glasgow's name is always a great husky that I always remember. Um, I remember him um as a husky, but I remember him a little bit more in the NFL when he played for the Seattle Seahawks. He was there uh with them for several years. Uh actually just recently passed away. Um from yeah, what, I would say he'd
1: probably be the first cornerback that I really remember. Yeah. yeah. At Washington. Um,
0: yeah. Yep, he played. He was first team All Pac uh, twelve in seventy seven and seventy eight. I'm sorry, Pac ten. Would have been
1: Pac 8 Yeah, would have been pack,
0: <laughs> would have I been think pack I might have Pac ten. No, they had. Uh, I think uh, Arizona and Arizona State joined in seventy eight. So yeah, it's probably Pac eight the first year and pack twelve the, or Pac ten the second year. But uh, ended up with one hundred and sixty eight tackles and five interceptions. Uh, was taken in the eighth round of the uh, 1979 NFL draft by the Baltimore Colts. He played nine years there and then uh, came over to the Seattle Seahawks for five years, played uh, five years there, Um, ended up uh, was named the defensive player of the year, the Seahawks defensive player of the year in 1990 and uh, was named to Washington's all century team in that same year, 1990 and was inducted into the Husky Hall of Fame in 2001 Uh, he, um, had a long battle with stomach cancer that just ended, uh, last, last year at the age of 62, he passed away, but, uh, one of the great Huskies, Nesby Glasgow.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I think he was probably the first one that I really remember in terms of being like a, a big time guy. And then I think maybe the next one after that would be maybe like Mark Lee.
0: And see, I thought of Lilo Lang. That would be the first one that came to my mind. Okay. But I think that was because he's a unique name <laughs> more For than anything.
1: Sure. Well, uh, yeah, there's no doubt. He's got one yeah. of the more unique names uh, ever at Washington football.
0: Yeah, Vince Newsome is another one that I remember too. But uh, yeah.
1: um, let's
0: see here. Um, oh, also, uh, one thing I forgot to mention and I should have, he had the uh, game-clinching interception deep in Washington territory. Yeah. in uh, in oh, their the game. In the Rose Bowl. Yeah. 1978 Rose Bowl against Michigan. So uh, and then the Walter Bailey. I can't not talk about my guy, Walter Bailey, man. He and I have he he and I are roughly the same age. We we went to the University of Washington at the same time. I ran into him a few times. He and Lawyer Malloy were the two guys I seemed to run into all the time uh, when I was there. I think they if they weren't communications majors, they were taking a lot of communications classes. Uh, so uh, I ran into him several times on campus and they knew me um, as well, cause they, they came up and shopped at the store I worked at, uh, which was pro image back in the day, Northgate mall. Um, but, uh, Walter Bailey, you know, had a really eventful, uh, career because he, he started out of Portland and, uh, had to, didn't get his academics taken care of. And so he ended up going to the Western Washington where he played for one year, red shirted, and then came down to the university of Washington and played three seasons with the Huskies Uh, he, um, uh, let's see, he, he was basically a special teams guy his first year, maybe a little backup, but, uh, he did end up, uh, playing, being a starter on the national championship team in 1991 and, uh, finished up his career. Uh, sixth all-time uh, with, with 12 interceptions. So the guy could always seem to get his hand on the ball, even though he wasn't the tallest guy in the world. So, um, And then one last one, um, one last 20s that I want to mention is um, the uh, the uh, number 20, Greg Lewis, uh, first Doak Walker winner, um, big-time running back out of Ingram High School, was a really, really good running back for the University of Washington, is now the play-by-play, or I'm sorry, not play-by-play, the color analyst, on washington uh for washington and then our no i'm sorry he he was for a little bit
1: but he's just uh, one of the husky. Um, him, stuff.
0: yeah he's just a husky honk now and then uh paul arnold um he was probably the top recruit that rick newheisel had to get right
1: i guess yeah when, when, when he, he was yeah. when he was
0: brand new to the to the huskies uh as the head coach paul arnold was kind of the big time guy yeah. he was a Big-time running back out of Kennedy High School. Yeah. Um, ended up struggling with some back was – was it back problems that he had? I think yeah, it was back Yeah, he ended problems. up getting
1: diagnosed, I think, with um, – what's it, like scoliosis or something with this yeah. – Like the narrow – whatever the narrowing of the spine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. and uh, But ended up switching to wide receiver and and uh, was a really good player at the University of Washington. And then we got to mention Kevin King if we're talking about number 20. Um, the guy was – he he reminded me of Merton Hanks because of the long neck, you know uh-huh. that. Remember Merton yeah. Hanks with his his bobblehead thing that he had going on that he always did. Well, um, Kevin King always kind of reminded me of that guy, and he ended up he uh, started off at safety at the University of Washington. He was about six four and one hundred and seventy pounds, and uh, eventually bulked up to about one hundred and ninety. Um, and moved to slot and outside corner in his fat last few careers. Had that one-handed interception against Arizona State. Um, ended up uh, getting drafted in the second round by the Green Bay Packers. Has has struggled a little bit the past couple of years, but uh, still has has uh, got himself a nice niche in uh, in the pros here and has made himself some money and and is a very visible player and leader for the Packers.
1: No, absolutely no. There's yeah. no doubt he is. But the move that he made to corner ended up, I think, getting him into the situation he's in now. I mean, Um, when you look at a guy who can play at six, three can play out on the edge like that, that's um, that's that's a moneymaker. And so Kevin King's benefiting from that for sure. Yeah, Chris, this is turning
0: into a very long podcast, so I'm sorry. We're going to speed up here and go uh, to the teens, which you had. Um, Give me give me a couple numbers that stood out to you in in, uh, the teens.
1: Yeah, obviously the, you know, 12, 11, 10 are absolutely just jam packed, but yep. the first one I would probably go with is 15 and it's obviously jam packed as well. They're all pretty jam packed, but 15 for sure. When you look at, you know, you go all the way back in the day with Bob Florett, we've talked about him a little bit, the quarterback of, of the teams that the won the Rose Bowls under Jim Owens in, um, God, what was it? 59 and 15, yeah. 59 or 59, mm-hmm. 60, um, You know, he was just a phenomenal, phenomenal quarterback, big time. Um, You know, you go back to Anthony Allen, big time receiver. Um, You know, Jermaine Kurse. Obviously, we know all about Jermaine and what he's done, not just at Washington, but with the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, all those things. Tommy Smith on the defensive side, probably one of the the most um, highly recruited kids of all time. Um, and, And you mentioned in the other podcast about his safety against uh, Nebraska and just the decibel level, um, probably yep. maybe the single loudest play ever to be played at, at Husky stadium. Um, and then even like John Anderson, for instance, he's a, a, a good friend of ours. And uh, you know, he, he, he started a little, you know, you talked about Vic Markov, which I was thought was interesting because you talked about the, the, the pipeline from Chicago to Washington. Piper kind of 30s. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and John Anderson kind of did the same thing in Florida, with w- early into Rick Neuheisel's tenure when you got John Anderson and then you had Rich Alexis, and then you had uh ET Charles Frederick, those three guys very, very um, I don't know if rich rich wasn't super, super highly recruited, but he was a super big talent. Um, but, but Anderson, you know, he, he was able to get ET and ET was one of the, the, the top receivers in the country at that time, him and Reggie Williams were basically number one and number two in the country uh, in those recruiting classes. So, Um, I'll always remember John for that. Um, you know, so that was, that was a big number, really big number in terms of the, the, the type of impact players. But, you know, then you go back, you know, just to speed it up, you know, you look at, at 12, 12 is absolutely jam packed and it's not just quarterbacks, even though, you know, you've got, you know, good friend, Taylor Barton, you know, good friend, Johnny DeRocher, those guys, we saw those guys coming up through high school and, and through college and, and doing big things. Um, you know, going back with the quarterbacks, you got Tom Flick, uh, obviously Billy Joe Hobart, you know, arguably one of the the most successful quarterbacks ever at Washington. Um, and then, you know, some of the other, you know, Hugh Millen, for instance, can't can't uh, not talk about 12 without talking about Hugh Millen and what he did in terms of the the Orange Bowl in 84 and those types of things. But then you also look at guys like Amari Lowe, you know, was a phenomenal defensive back at Washington, uh, Leon Neal, great running back, uh, Al Worley. You know, if people don't know the the story of Al Worley, I mean, he I don't know if he still owns the record, but he had 14 interceptions in 10 games in 1968, the year I was born. Yep. And he had four interceptions in one game, I guess, Idaho. The his uh, I believe 18 interceptions in his career at Washington still stands still still school record. And he was named to the All Century Team, UW's All Century Team, and, and uh, inducted into the Husky Hall of Fame in 1992. But Al Worley was, you know, he's a kid from Wenatchee. You know, we think of Wenatchee, we think of Trey Adams and some of these other guys. But Al Worley was the one that really kind of set the benchmark for kids coming from that part of the part of the world, part of the state. So that was a big number. And then you go to 11, man. I let's talk about 11. I mean, you've got Marcus Tuiasosopo, who I think. He's arguably the the greatest quarterback I've seen in my days outside of maybe Warren Moon. Um, you know, you've got uh, even defensive side, you got Elijah Qualls. People don't remember, Alex Cook started as 11 before he moved to 5. Um, so you've got those guys. Uh, and then 10, 10 was really big too, obviously. You know, we'd mentioned ET, Charles Frederick wore 10, but you had Jake Locker, uh, Siler Miles. Uh, even Hugh Patrick O'Brien on the current team wore what 10. What number did Jacob Hugh Mellon Eason. wear? Was he
0: 12? What's that? What number was Hugh Mellon?
1: 12.
0: Yeah, he was 12. That's right. Yeah,
1: but Jacob Eason wore obviously wore 10. Back mm-hmm. in the day, Kerry Conklin was a great 10. Uh, you know, arguably the greatest 10 that's ever played at Washington. Ray Horton, who was not just a phenomenal uh, defensive back, but also a great coach. It was a, was a long, long time NFL coach. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's, is he still coaching in the NFL? I can't remember. He might still be. I don't want to. I think he is. I think he he is. Yeah. I don't want to short him. He may still be coaching in the NFL. I I have to double check on that. But yeah, 10, obviously phenomenal. And then, you know, you you could talk about all the 10s that maybe weren't like super phenomenal players, but still uh, made their own little bit of an impact um, in terms of guys like John Timu. You remember Lance Toadale? Lance Toadale was a, was a 10 um god who who else would have been a 10 it's like uh theron Hill um mm-hmm. so there there was definitely a few there were definitely a few out there that were good tens but um Torre Butler for instance that yeah. was another 10 so that's just a quick overview of, of kind of the teens and whatnot like <laughs> I could I could spend a you know I could spend 10 minutes just on on, on Marcus too as sopo what yeah do you, the warrior, you know, I can still remember to this day um, walking kind of in a daze on the El Camino Real outside of the Stanford Stadium uh, after they beat, you know, after they were way ahead in that game against Stanford. And then Stanford gets like three onside kicks in a row, comes back, goes ahead. And then Marcus, you know, comes back and throws the the and drives them in the just the pouring rain uh, to a winning touchdown, throws it to Justin Robbins. Um, and that was the same day where, um, Curtis Williams was, uh, hurt. And obviously that turned into a major, major deal and, um, uh, you know, kind of a, another tragic story, but that was yeah. that same game. So many things happened in that game. And I, like I said, I just remember in the pouring rain, I didn't have a, I didn't have a jacket. I, Cause it was like 75 degrees, but it was pouring rain. So it wasn't like I was cold. But I just remember being a wet rat, just walking down that that road in a daze, the main drag there outside of Stanford, and um, and so many things that happened in that game. But that's just one of the games I remember Marcus for. Obviously, the 300-200 game against Stanford the year before was was something that we've never seen before or since.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, um, Hey, Chris, you, you had mentioned Ray Horton, if he was still coaching. His last coaching job was with the Washington well they were called the Washington Redskins back then it was in 2019
1: okay, that he was so hired
0: by them and uh I but it was close yeah but i think he was let go cuz uh, ron rivera uh did not retain him
1: yeah. so i figured we, he was close i figured he was right on that cusp either just finished or was just right yeah. at the end of his career
0: yeah but um yeah chris i mean just you know like we've said several times we could talk forever about some of these numbers and I mean, there's so many good ones. The the number nine for me, as we get into the single digits, you know, with um, with uh, um, didn't lawyer Malloy play nine, play with nine. Yeah, Yeah, I think he was number nine. Miles Gaskin was number nine. I mean, there's some really good ones. I went with the number eight and it was because of the guys that that wore it, Napoleon Kaufman, Howie Kakaha, who I know he had a different number, but he, he did his big stuff with the number eight. And then Dante Pettis, who also had another number. He started off with 84 or 83, something like that. 87, 87, 87. Yeah. And, but he ended up as the number eight and, you know, Dante Pettis, let's talk about him for a second, ends up as the greatest punt returner in college football history. Uh, with nine punt returns for so touchdowns.
1: I was going to say, in terms of touchdowns, yes.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I, and that's all I'm talking about is, um, and you know what's really funny is the guy that he broke the record from was the Texas Tech guy, um, what uh, wide receiver for uh for Tom Brady over at, with the with the uh, New England Patriots, and I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he he held the record at eight, and then yeah. Dante Pettis comes in and scores it, and he does it against Oregon. How fitting is that to do it against Oregon? But I mean, it wasn't just that his punt returns came in blowout wins or against lesser teams. He did it against in at some really important times. He did did it against Boise State, which drew Washington in closer in that in that away game and Jake Browning's first start as a freshman he did it in um he did it against Utah in twenty sixteen to kind of spark Washington to that win over Utah down in down well, that, in uh, yeah,
1: that ended up being the difference in the game. Yeah. And that Salt was Lake only there was only like four minutes left in the game at that yeah, point. Yeah. Huge. And um, you know, By the way, and I, then, think, I think the guy you're thinking of from Texas Tech was Wes Welker.
0: Wes Welker, that's who it was. Yeah. So so just I mean, honestly, I didn't know Wes Welker was a great punt returner. <laughs> <laughs> coming out of college, so yeah. so uh, to have Dante Pettis break his record, and I don't, I honestly, Chris, do not know if you're ever going to see that again from the Huskies or from anyone. He might end up holding that one forever. So will see, because um, that is that is not an easy skill. You have to have a very very specific skill set in order to do that. So Hallie Kakaha, I mean, what more to say about him? Sack leader at the University of Washington, just just an unbelievable player and I remember it was funny after a game and I can't remember which one it was and he sat down and everybody's kind of sitting there for our gaggle this is when we could do gaggles with players back in the day they ended up winning some game and he's sitting there and everybody kind of looks at him and he goes anybody (laughs) and everybody's kind of I think they were getting their notes together or what they wanted to ask and then he was like awkward (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, just found that kind of, he's, he's a different personality, different kind of guy, but very, very talented, uh, player there on the edge. He, uh, Shaq Thompson and Danny Shelton, they, was it the first time Washington had ever had three, um, All Americans on the same team?
1: Maybe for a long time.
0: Yeah. I think that was, that was what it was. So, uh, cause I know that, um, they had Lincoln Kennedy and, and, uh, And Steve Eppman back in 1991, but I don't know if there was anyone else. And so that was a big thing was that because I remember taking a picture of those three. uh, We were getting pictures of those three guys after they got named to the All-American list. And then Napoleon Kaufman, who all the way up until Miles Gaskin broke that record uh, a couple of years ago, Napoleon Kaufman was the greatest running back, at least statistically, in Washington history.
1: Yeah. And it was it's not, it was not really close. I know Mackleman, no. you know, was probably more notorious or more famous in some ways, but yeah, in terms of just pure production, there was, there was no one like Napoleon Kaufman. No one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a special, special player explosive. He was one of the greatest, um, uh, one of the top high school running backs ever, um, came out of Lompoc high school. He had offers from everywhere and, uh, chose the University of Washington even though they were loaded at tailback at that point in time they had Leon Neal they had um they had or I'm sorry Leon Neal I think came in the year after he did but they had Beano Bryant they had Jay Berry and Beano Bryant still had a couple years left when when uh, Napoleon Kaufman showed up so uh but I I still remember watching Napoleon it it was watching him run you know, there's some guys who don't look fast, but they're fast. You remember Corey Dillon did not look fast. He just was fast. Right. But that's because it was on a big guy. Napoleon Kaufman was just not very big and everything he did was frenetic. And, and you watched him run and he was just so explosive. And I remember watching him in that, in that 1994 game where he was just running it down the throat of Oregon and they end up, you know they throw the the infamous pick six the other way that basically spurred Oregon onto that to what what we see now um, from them. But Napoleon Kaufman had rushed for like 160 yards in that game, and uh, they just decided not to hand it off to him. And I I still haven't figured out why.
1: <laughs> yeah, your I guess mean, is as good as mine.
0: It's like the it's like the Marshawn Lynch in the in the Super Bowl against the the Patriots. You know why don't you hand it off to your best? running. Back. Why you guys are killing them. What are you doing? So, yeah. um, let's move on to number five. This is the, uh, this, there's two more number five, number one, number five, I think is an underrated number considering the amount of talented guys that have that and, and special players for the university of Washington that have that have worn the number five. We already talked about Michael Jackson in our past podcast and how I screwed up and didn't even include him on the number five because I had it in my head. He was a 55, but, um, He was the number five greatest tackler in Washington history. Uh, Just special, special guy uh, could do pretty much anything you wanted um, on the defensive side of the ball. Mario Bailey is I mean, until Reggie Williams came along, there wasn't a better, uh, at least productivity wise, wide receiver in Washington history than Mario Bailey.
1: Yeah, I mean, just like we were talking about with Miles Gaskin and Napoleon Kaufman until Reggie Williams basically sh- and and let's let's be clear Reggie Williams absolutely shattered yeah all the receiving records every single one of them so un- until Reggie showed up on campus Mario was not only the most productive one for sure but also the most well known the most infamous I mean, his his Heisman pose in the 92 Rose Bowl is the stuff of legend. Yep. You know, when you're going up against Desmond Howard and Washington. Who had won the – Yeah, he had won he, – well, he had won the Heisman. Yeah. But but he, but he they get completely obliterated, and then on top of it, he catches that ball in the fourth quarter, does the Heisman pose. I mean, it's like the, the – just dumping like a pound of salt in the wound. I mean, it was incredible.
0: Now, now one thing I'll say, one thing I'll say, and – and, Everybody knows I'm a Husky fan love Mario Bailey, but Desmond Howard's comeback was kind of good.
1: Oh, I, I have no problem. I have no problems with Desmond Howard. I just yeah. thought that at the no, time, no,
0: but his, his comeback, when people asked him about Mario Bailey doing the post, he says, well, he can come over to my house and see the real Heisman for himself.
1: Yeah, no, so. I, no, trust me. He, yeah. He, he He's, he's got it for, for eternity. There's no doubt yeah. about it, but for that moment, Mario Bailey got the, absolutely. but he absolutely. didn't, you know, it's, Desmond Howard is the one that gets the last the longest because he yeah, gets the but, last laugh.
0: And the only reason why Desmond Howard got it was because of his uh, return abilities, which can't be discounted. But Mario Bailey would put up the better receiving numbers, better touchdown numbers.
1: The only uh, thing that I would say, the, the only thing I would add to, to Mario Bailey is that the the one play outside of that that really stands out in his career was earlier in that season. I want to say it was against Arizona. I can't remember 100% for sure, but I think it was, was the play where they showed it from the end zone view and he caught it in the middle of the field and he literally left like six guys. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. I mean, it was the most ridiculous series of moves to get in the end zone I think I've ever seen before or since. I mean, absolutely just broke ankles left and right and literally he's in the end zone. And all you see is just Arizona players strewn in his wake. It was absolutely incredible.
0: Um, Dana Hall also wore the number five. Fred Small wore the number five. Reggie Davis. Now Reggie Davis didn't have a spectacular career from a stat standpoint, but you can't discount his miracle in the desert that he that he had that he, the catch that he had from uh, from. Um, Brock Heward. Brock Heward. I kind of want to say Damon Heward, but Brock Heward, uh in, in, you know, just in, nobody thought Washington was going to win that game and he ends up winning it. It's sweltering heat down there in Arizona. And and he he goes for uh, I think I want to say it was like 47 yards, whatever it was. But uh, huge, huge play in Washington history that game. And then Miles Bryant. And the reason I mentioned Miles Bryant, because he's still a relatively new guy, and but a guy that comes in as a walk on. And ends up starting as a freshman. He turned down offers from UCLA, Nevada, and I think one other um, FBS program to come to the University of Washington because of their reputation for developing uh, developing defensive backs. Ends up starting, becoming a four year starter at the University of Washington. Plays safety, plays some nickel, even played some outside corner. Just a special player, and he's and he's on with New England.
1: I was going to say too the the what by having Miles Bryant that allowed Washington the redshirt Byron Murphy. yeah, And that ended up being pretty huge in, in Murphy's development. Now, a lot of people will say, well, he still had eligibility and all that, and that's totally fair, but the bottom line is is that Murphy felt they everyone felt at the time that that Byron Murphy was going to play as a true freshman, but they obviously felt like he wasn't ready, but they felt like Miles Bryant was ready and and to be able to have him come in and play right away and to be able to redshirt Byron Murphy. We, you know, only time will tell uh, or time knows how important that was to Byron Murphy's development as a player. Um, But Miles Bryant was huge to the program at the time. And for him to have a scholarship, wait too long to be able to accept it and then still walk on anyways and then earn a scholarship, it's a remarkable story. And I know it's one that the Washington coaches tell on the recruiting trail all the time. the other thing I would say, um, it, it's just uh, it's just an impressive kind of story of perseverance in many ways. Mm-hmm. Just what he was able to do on that on that score to be able to um, to just have that to bet on himself that much, and um, and to do what he's done is has been um, really impressive. All
0: right, well, let's get to the number one. I don't. I, <sighs> I don't know if you remember, Chris, but I, I as I was getting closer to writing number one, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be take forever to write. Um, so let's just talk about the guys who were the number one. Warren Moon, um, Reggie Williams, Mike Lansford, Charles Mincy, Byron Murphy, uh, John Ross, Chris Polk, Lonzel Hill and Rashawn Sheehy. Those are the only those are the ones I wrote about. Chris. They're, well, they're,
1: yeah. And there's J, like Jadon Minkins. Yeah. Uh, Tony Alvarado. Hunter Bryant.
0: Yeah. Jermaine uh, Jermaine Smith. CJ Wallace.
1: Yeah, Talia Crichton.
0: Jafar Williams. Jafar I mean, Williams. CJ <laughs> Wall, Yeah.
1: It uh, was CJ Wallace.
0: Yeah. It was just brutal trying to write this because I was like, there's so many guys I want to write about. Um, You know, everybody knows kind of what Warren Moon means to the Washington football program, but he really, as, as much as he burst on the scene with Husky fans, it wasn't, the NFL and football fans didn't know about him much until he went up to CFL and won, was part of five straight uh, Grey Cup titles with the Edmonton Eskimos, but he, I remember hearing the story, I read the story about it, I remember reading the story about it that he, um, like he had coaches telling him that he wasn't a quarterback. They wanted to move him to receiver. And he's like, no, I want to play quarterback. So he goes to the goes to Edmonton, plays up there, and wins five, five uh gray cups, and then um, you know, it ends up down with uh, the NFL becoming one of the hottest NFL free agent bidding wars in NFL history uh signs on with minnesota sets some records i'm sorry signs on with the houston oilers set some records there goes to minnesota sets a couple more records then in seattle and kansas city i mean he just did it all he played till he was 44
1: yeah no i mean you know who's to say that you know a guy who ends up throwing for 70,000 yards as a pro wasn't a quarterback yeah I mean, that's just the most absurd thing ever, right? It just makes you think. But but here's here's the thing. The 77 season at Washington, you know, the season they won the Rose Bowl, the season they beat Michigan, the first time they had been in the Rose Bowl in, what, 15, 16 years, something like that? He, his, he threw at a 56% clip for completions, threw for 1,700 yards, 12 touchdowns, nine interceptions. If people looked at those stats today, they'd they'd go, he's awful. He's he's, he's absolutely mediocre. He's horrible. You know, those aren't the the college stats of a quarterback that would do anything in the game today. Yet we're talking about a guy that finished his NFL career with almost 50,000 by himself, over 20,000 more in the CFL. Like you said, five Grey Cups, nine-time Pro Bowler, um, was the man of the uh, Walton Payton Man of the Year in 1989, and the Offensive Player of the Year in ni- the the following year in 90. He was two-time NFL passing year passing yards leader, 90, 91. Um, you know, he's in the Titans Ring of Honor, or the, I guess the Oilers back then, but now the Titans. Um, they retired his number. I mean, these are all things that you would do if if the guy wasn't a quarterback. Yeah. If he's not a quarterback, I want to know who is.
0: And next, we got to talk about Reggie Williams. I mean, just, we and we've already mentioned it when we talked about Mario Bailey. I mean, Reggie Williams is the standard that we that every Husky wide receiver is judged by.
1: Yeah. Now I remember the first game he played was against Michigan. Yep, uh, and I remember him losing his shoe on a on a play down the, the Michigan sideline where he looked like he was going to score. And um, I mean, it was just from the first couple of catches he made, you could just tell this guy was way different than anything we'd ever seen before. And I'll, I'll even go back to his um, recruitment. I was still living in Walla Walla at the time, and you know, obviously was still very much in the, on the boards and very much kind of intrigued with what you know reggie was going to do and i know michigan was really heavily involved and he had taken a a trip i think to ucla late ish and um all this speculation going on of what he was going to do and this that and the other thing and i remember the morning that he was going to make his decision because he was going to go on um what would it have been at that fox sports northwest or yeah whatever it was yeah And, um, that morning people saw his mom go to work and she was wearing a Michigan shirt and everyone just went absolutely apoplectic. Like they were was like, well, that's that, you know, everyone knows where he's going. And then of course that night he did the hat dance and put on the Washington hat and everyone's going nuts. But I just remember, you know, people talk about how crazy some of these hat dances are and some of these other, things. you know, this is 20 years ago. And this was going on. And and so this is not a new phenomenon by any sense. Um, These are the days when the chat room was going on turbo Mm. and, and, and every little shred of, of potential rumor or innuendo was being completely chopped down to its, to its, to to the minutia of the minutia of, of everyone was trying to divine something out of some little piece of evidence that they had heard about something doing somewhere or other about something. And that that's it really, to me, Reggie Williams recruitment was one of the very, very first ones. It may have been the first one where I really kind of understood how a prep all American, you know, Washington trying to recruit a guy. And this was a guy that was in their own backyard. Like you mentioned, Paul Arnold, you know, this would have been the next guy in the line. And just to see the frenzy, and to see, you know, how much stuff was happening just around the recruitment of one guy like this and how important it was to get a guy like this. And then you see what he does and
0: mm-hmm. then it
1: all kind of makes sense. It's like, oh, exactly. okay, that's that's why recruiting's important. OK, yeah, you, I, I get it now.
0: You talk about guys living up to their potential and, and what everybody thought they were going to be that. But he was definitely one of the guys that did that. Finished with 243 career receptions for three. Uh, almost thirty six hundred yards, thirty five hundred ninety eight yards. Both of those are still program records. His twenty two touchdown receptions still ranks fourth in program history, and he hasn't played for the Huskies in eighteen years. So, um, his uh, his sophomore season was the big his big breakout season. I mean, he had fifty nine receptions, nine hundred seventy three yards, and three touchdowns as a freshman. But then. As a uh, sophomore, he had 94 receptions, 1454 yards, and 11 touchdowns. He led the team and conference in all three categories, and he was named a consensus first-team All-American after that season. In um, in uh, 2000 uh, or yeah 2003, which was his junior year, that was kind of a struggle because that was the firing of Rick Heisel and all the turmoil that happened before the season, all that stuff still managed to post 89 receptions for 1109 yards and eight touchdowns. Um, went on to be drafted in the top our uh, ninth selection overall by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He did not really have the kind of success. A lot of people expected to a, a guy who's six, four, almost six, four, 200 pounds could run really, really fast. Um, could do a lot of those things. Um, he he ended up with 189 receptions for 2322 yards and 18 touchdowns, but he just that was over five years and he just didn't really find find what he was looking for out there um, and what everybody expected, he, especially with him being such a high draft choice. So let's keep moving on. Charles Mincy was a big time. Uh, corner prospect out of Southern California went to Pasadena City College. Washington convinced him to come up to the come up there and play for them. He uh, was t- he ended up having a really uh, solid career. Um, um, became a full time starter for the Huskies in 1990. Finished with 37 tackles and interception and seven pass breakups as a senior, and uh, was selected in the fifth round by the Kansas City Chiefs. Played uh, for nine seasons in the NFL. Four with Kansas City, one with Minnesota, two with Tampa, and one with Oakland. Uh, Retired uh, shortly thereafter, became a really good player. Mike Lansford, one of the arguably the top two or three best kickers ever in Husky history. Um, He, uh, um, you know, wasn't really known for a huge leg. He was 24 of 38 on his field goal attempts um, and uh, scored 143 points for the Washington in his career, leading them in 78 uh uh let's see lead, leading Washington in 78 and finishing second in points behind Joe Steele in 79 he was selected in the 12th round of the 1980 NFL draft by the Los Angeles Rams and went on to play 11 seasons with them and his 789 career points in the NFL still ranks 97th all time in NFL scoring history that's pretty incredible to, incredible to me chris
1: yeah no I mean, fantastic no stats say you it all
0: Yeah. Byron Murphy, the number one, Um, we've talked about him a little bit, could have chosen pretty much any school in the country, ended up committing to Washington. And I think Washington and maybe Ohio State and possibly Alabama were the only schools that would have been able to redshirt him that year. But Washington was able to redshirt him. They got two seasons out of him one of his last plays, uh, for them, um, in a regular season game was, uh, his interception in the, in the snow in the apple cup, where he goes high to catch that, that interception in the, uh, right before the, uh, halftime. And he's now been a two year starter. Uh, this is his third season in the NFL. Um, he's been a two year starter for, um, the, the Cardinals and, uh, um, I was going to say, his, I think I think he I think, had a pick
1: six. I was going to yeah. say, at the time we're doing this, I think he's had back-to-back games with interceptions.
0: Yeah, and just had his first pick six. So, yeah. Um, yeah um, so let's see, John Ross. I don't know how we can't talk about him just for a second. Uh, was a great kick returner and kind of a slot guy. Ends, ends up tearing his knee up at spring ball, um, misses an entire season, but then comes back in 2016 and becomes. Uh, one of the top playmakers in the entire country helped lead Washington to a 12 and two record, um, to help take them to the college football playoffs, had 81 receptions for 1150 yards and 17 touchdowns, and was named to several, uh, all American, uh, teams. Um, he, uh, ended up, um, registering the fastest 40 yard dash time in NFL combine history. Um, setting it at 4.22 seconds um didn't they didn't they call him didn't they weren't they going to give him an island or something for that um uh, I, I think correctly.
1: that i think the I, I think it was because i think it was only for nike athletes and he yeah, was a guy adidas. or the yeah. other way around yeah. it was either it yeah. was the other way maybe it was the other way around it was
0: I, the other way because washington wasn't adidas yet
1: yeah yeah so they so it was an adidas sponsored deal and he was a nike guy yeah.
0: so whatever
1: yeah um <laughs> he should have gotten the island give yeah. him the damn island
0: yeah uh chris polk uh could have gone to pretty much any school that he wanted to as a running back out of redlands east valley um in the 28 2008 recruiting class um signs with washington uh tyrone willingham probably the top recruit will tyrone willingham ever got Um, comes in under uh, Steve Sarkeesian, though, and eventually becomes a very good running back at the University of Washington, finished his career uh, at the University of Washington with, where is it here? Well, he had a 200, he has the, I think it's the top rushing game ever at the University of Washington with 284. Oh, no, he's second behind Hugh McElhaney, who had 297, I think. Uh, He had a 284-yard rushing output against Washington State, Um, As a senior, he rushed for 1,488 yards and 12 touchdowns, wrapped up his career with a little over 4,000 yards and ranks third in Husky history uh, with that mark and also has 26 touchdowns. He went undrafted, uh, but he signed with Philadelphia and played a few seasons there and then had a couple seasons with the Houston Texans. Uh, Lonzel Hill was one of my favorite receivers coming out of high school. I still remember, or coming when I was, you know, growing up through junior high and high school. Um, I remember the one game, it was the it was the game where they had to, the Apple Cup where they had to have a bunch of people come in and volunteer to flush the toilets because it was so cold. Do you remember yeah. that? They did it like the day before to kind of get the water flowing through everything and everything. Well, he ends up, he has one of those hand warmers and it's on his back. Remember those, remember those in the old days where they would put their hand warmers on those little circular things. They'd have it around their waist. He yep. had his hands in those and, but it, it ended up getting spun around to his back and he goes for a long touchdown and a Washington state guy thinks they has them. And he grabs the hand warmer on his back And uh, that ends up being a touchdown. That was a pretty big, big play in that game. He ended up with he 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 didn't have um, a ton of stats because that was a time in in the Husky program history when they weren't throwing the ball very much. 103 receptions for 1641 yards and 16 touchdowns Uh, was drafted in the second round, 40th overall by the Saints and went on to play four seasons with them and then uh, three seasons up in the CFL. And lastly, the last guy we're going to talk about, Rashawn Sheehy, he was the guy who, um, you know, kind of took over. He and Corey uh, Dillon were kind of there at the same time, right? Is yep. that, am I correct on that? And, yeah. and uh, Corey Dillon leaves and Sheehy comes in, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Rashawn Sheehy has an injury. Corey Dillon comes in and puts up the huge numbers in his one season on campus. Following season, Sheehy. Goes on to uh, finish up his career with 2,100 yards, uh, rushing 20 touchdowns, um, and uh, was drafted in the third round of the 1998 draft by the Kansas City Chiefs. He played for a couple seasons there and then also played in the first uh, iteration of the XFL in 2001 with the uh, He Hate Me. (laughs) uh name on the back not he did not have that but that was what a lot of people remember so hey chris i don't want we're we've gone way 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 over uh what we should have gone but um i hope you had fun doing this i hope people had fun listening to this chris thanks for spending time kind of reminiscing and talking about this
1: of course no i was going to say with it's interesting with she he it is one of those weird things where you know, Corey Dillon comes in the middle and it's kind of this one hit wonder in 96, but yeah, 1995 and 1997, the the Huskies leading rusher was Rashawn Sheehy. He mm-hmm. was the real deal. And it just happened to be kind of serendipitous that at the time he gets hurt, there's another guy that comes in that can, you know, be this super impact guy. And then he bolts and, oh yeah, you get the, you get the guy that got hurt. He came back and now you're all good again. So yeah, yeah it just seemed to be a, a pretty fortuitous time, but yeah, I love doing this. And, um, I appreciate uh, you know people sticking with us and kind of going through all this stuff. There's a lot of, uh, lot of a lot memory of memory lane type of things <laughs> going on. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of things going on on this. So, uh, really appreciate you guys hanging with us.
0: Yep, and uh, we're sorry if we missed some names that you guys thought we should have mentioned. If very likely they are in the articles, I will do my best to link some articles for you. Link the articles for you guys, so if you want to go back and look up some things that maybe you missed them, or maybe you weren't around, maybe you're a new new subscriber and you want to take a look at what we did uh, preseason, uh, we'll we'll do that for you as well. Thanks for listening, um, and uh, we will talk to you guys very soon. For Chris Fetters, I am Scott Eklund. Go dogs. МУЗЫКАЛЬНАЯ ЗАСТАВКА